Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andy. Incredibly uh, timely and helpful prayer. Uh, church, uh, good to uh, be able to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning. Hope and pray it'll be an encouragement to you. Before uh, we jump into Acts chapter 8, which is where we'll be, you could go ahead and turn there if you want. But yeah, before we jump in, uh, just a couple of minutes on uh, what you can anticipate. This coming week, as we head into phase one as a church, as uh, all of you hopefully by this point know, uh, the elders put out a, uh, during the members meeting a few weeks ago, put out a, a plan to slowly and uh, cautiously and safely, uh, Lord willing, re-engage the public ministries of the church. If you haven't seen that yet, um, friends, you can jump on the Church on Mill website where you'll be able to find uh, some slides that will show you uh, exactly what those phases will entail. We'll be uh, officially uh, beginning phase one next Sunday morning. We'll be sort of having a soft launch on uh, Wednesday night. We'll begin the summer study here in the auditorium. There'll be the ability for up to 50 people to be a part of that as well as streaming it. Uh, but really looking forward uh, again, Lord willing, to next Sunday, Sunday, June 7th, when uh, we will begin officially in phase one. What that will entail basically um, is that we'll have three gatherings here in the auditorium. Uh, right now there's one, two, three, four, there's six people here in the auditorium. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll be having gatherings of up to uh, 50 people. Uh, you will get an email if you are uh, someone who's a member of Church on Mill or you're a regular attender and so your uh, email is in our system. You'll be getting an email at one o'clock today in which you'll be able to sign up for one of three gatherings. There'll be one at 8.30, another at 10, and the final one at 11.30. They'll each be a little bit shorter than what we're accustomed to in order to give time to clean uh, the auditorium and the bathrooms between uh, those gatherings. So next Sunday morning, we'll be able to, uh, Lord willing, participate here up to 50 people in each gathering. If you would, please, as early as you can during the week, jump on that email and uh, choose which one of those in-person gatherings works best for you. And uh, then you'll notice when you log in, you'll see a, a number. That number begins at 40. The reason for that is it will allow uh, space for guests who would come as well as uh, anybody, any member who might not have seen the, uh, the need to sign up. So there'll be a little bit of wiggle room there. And uh, once those are full, you can choose a different one. Uh, for those of you in particular who are in a more vulnerable state, have some underlying uh, physical condition that puts you at particular risk of catching COVID-19, we would encourage you to stay home and uh, to mind your health. And you'll be able to watch uh, the gathering on YouTube or Facebook, uh, the one that's at 1130. So the 1130 will be streamed and you'll be able to participate that way. Everybody else, I wanna encourage you to, uh, to mask up and come. We're hoping and praying for a really sweet time as we gather here in the auditorium. Uh, those of you with kids, feel free to bring them with you. We're anticipating it being ruckus in here and uh, that being a wonderful thing. But bring your kids with you. We're very much excited for families to participate together. And if you feel like that's something with the age of your child you're just not able to do, then I wanna encourage you on behalf of the elders to just think creatively about how you could come. Uh, maybe one spouse comes at 8.30 and another comes at um, 11.30, maybe, uh, maybe you partner up with another church member too who could watch your kids and you come at an opposite hour. Just 
think about how you can work out prioritizing the gathering of God's people as the scriptures tell us to. And uh, we trust that this uh, will be a, a safe way to hopefully re-engage the public ministries of the church. Any questions about that, just let us know. Um, there is a Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. If you're on Zoom, you'll be able to go down there and click uh, Q&A and you can submit questions about that or perhaps about the sermon. And then after the gathering this morning, uh, Gracie will host us for a Q&A. So looking forward to that. For now though, church uh, really anticipating an important time together in the scriptures. And so would you open with me to Acts chapter eight? That's where we'll be this morning in Acts chapter eight. And uh, Hannah Lowry will be reading for us verses 26 through 40. That's verses 26 through 40 of Acts chapter eight. Hannah? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his, in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they carried up, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, these, as Andy helped us see in his pastoral prayer, these are arduous days. Uh, friends, we're dealing with the, the coronavirus and the drastic changes to daily life that flattening the curve has demanded. The decisions we've made to interrupt these normal society uh, processes have saved lives, but they've not been without cost, nor will they be in the future. For example, 40 million people have filed for unemployment in the last 10 weeks. That staggering figure means that one out of every four people in the American workforce are now out of work. And there's no end in sight. With states reopening, temperatures rising, frustrations mounting, and a president seemingly bent on picking fights instead of promoting peace, civility, and servant leadership, this nation has been a tinderbox for weeks. And now the match has been struck. The fire is raging. Society is coming apart at the seams. 
The murder of an unarmed black man, George Floyd, captured on video and viewed tens of millions of times over in the last six days, is one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. This dismaying video clearly depicts a white police officer crushing Floyd's throat with his knee while three other white officers watched, despite the man in custody pleading for his very life. And this posture of evil went on for nearly 10 minutes, two and a half minutes after Floyd had died. This act of police brutality was almost certainly racially motivated and is a despicable example of the abuse of power. But worse still, it's nothing new. Now, watching this morning, certainly among the members of Church on Mill, there are some of us who are just now becoming awake to these facts while there's others who have been living with them their whole lives. George had been arrested after a call to police for using what may have been a $20 counterfeit bill. No amount of money is worth the death of one made in the image of God, irrespective of the color of their skin. But this is not just George Floyd. This is Eric Gardner. Michael Brown, and many, many, many more. It remains a thousand times over more dangerous and difficult in this country to be black than it is to be white. And what a travesty that is. What a mockery of the human race. Protests have rightly emerged in many cities across these United States of America, including right here in the valley. Anyone whose conscience isn't seared and whose eyes aren't blind must lament George Floyd's death. It is the evidence of ongoing systemic racism and latent prejudice. And it's coming right on the heels of another black man being gunned down while he went for a jog. It's time that these things stop. To lament these deaths in public and call for change in protest is not only appropriate, it's right. Yet these protests are now spinning out of control into riots. Sadly, the sin of one is leading to the sin of many. That's what happens. Beloved, the healing such a fractured world needs today cannot be found in the assets the world possesses. We need the, the resources of heaven to meet the brokenness of earth. And that's exactly what we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly the, the currency the church of Jesus operates in. In the kind providence of God we come this morning, in the book of Acts, to a text that was chosen months ago, to a passage about a black man entering the kingdom of God and being fully welcomed into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a miracle. For multiple reasons we'll talk about in a few minutes, the deck was stacked against this guy in Acts chapter eight. 
but the gospel knows no bounds. You see, the body of Christ will be made up of people of every color of skin. This is the fact of one's union with Christ, that you get in not due to the pigment of your skin, but being made right with God through the death of the Lord Jesus. In fact, it's not only that this will happen, it's that from the perspective of God, it has already happened. You see, the scriptures tell us that Jesus ransomed people for God from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. His death has already accomplished that for which we strive and strain, namely, that everybody would be welcome through Christ. Beloved, it is no accident that we are in this passage this morning. May we not miss this divine appointment with God. May we heed every single letter in these verses, submitting ourselves to him. And I hope that we'll be convinced once for all that the source of our reconciliation is the Lord Jesus. And I pray we'll be even more motivated than we've ever been to become a church of Christ-exalting diversity. Our text, as Hannah read it, began in verse 24 with an unexpected assignment. God told Philip to head south. The medium was an angel, but the command came from God himself. What makes this rather surprising is that for Philip to do so meant he must leave a thriving ministry. As we studied last week, if you were with us, if not, you can go back and jump on the church website and listen to that sermon or simply read the previous section in Acts chapter eight. But as we looked at Philip, he had been sharing Christ in the city of Samaria and many, Many were saved, and the church was born among a people who the Jews never would have expected a church to be. And so significant was this outbreak of grace. Even two of the apostles traveled down from Jerusalem, or, or rather geographically, it would have been up from Jerusalem, to a city in Samaria to check it out for themselves. And humanly speaking, Philip was the man at the center of this magnificent gospel expansion. It was through his lips that the gospel was being heard. Yet when God directed Philip to leave for some other assignment, Philip went. Where Philip was instructed to go is rather surprising as well, namely, the verse tells us that he was to go on a road leading down to Gaza. The end of verse 26 simply puts it like this, this is a desert place. Now, after a 111 degree Friday, 110 degree Saturday, and a dust storm in May last night, this hits a bit close to home, doesn't it? we know well what it is to be in a desert place. Gaza was many days by foot from Samaria, but Philip obeyed. And he went for what turned out to be a single person. Just think of that, 
On the one hand, he had a city in Samaria where the masses were gathering to hear him share the truth of Jesus Christ. And a church had been born and he was helping them move forward in their faith. And yet in the context of that huge amount of gospel fruit, he left. He left the masses for the one. We see here something of the love of God for all peoples. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God sovereignly shuffles the people of God about to expand the kingdom of God by the word of God. And it's not just in Acts chapter 8 that that happens, it continues to happen today. So it is entirely appropriate to ask based in this text, Christian, will you go anywhere by any means to make sure everyone hears of Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, it's appropriate to ask you, have you considered what the Lord might be orchestrating on your behalf? Who is God bringing you in contact with? And don't miss the fact that you're listening to this message right now. Perhaps God is pursuing you. Perhaps today, is a divine appointment that you might hear the truth and see the love of Jesus. It turns out that along that road Philip was traveling, there was another making that same journey. While we don't know his name, we do know many other things about him from verse 27. In fact, if you look closely, it tells us four different things about this traveler. Number one, he was an Ethiopian. Number two, he was a eunuch. Number three, a court official. And number four, he was a God worshiper. Let's spend a few minutes on each one of them. First, he was an Ethiopian. Now, at this point in history, the area of the world known as Ethiopia was everything south of what we call Egypt. And it stretched down as far as the city of Khartoum. Ethiopia was the very outskirts of society. It was the southernmost point of civilization. So this black man had traveled at least a thousand miles from his home country to worship God in the city of Jerusalem. That tells us a lot about him. And yet after that journey that would have taken months when he reached the city of Jerusalem and he came to the temple to worship, he was met with what may have been a tremendous surprise, which brings us to the second thing this text tells us. This man was not only a black African and Ethiopian, he was also a eunuch. This unnamed man who made this months long journey would have been unable to go into the inner courts to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. He could worship God from afar in the court of the Gentiles, but he would have been prohibited from drawing near with the presence of God. He wasn't welcome. Why? Well, he was twice over an outcast. Ethnically, he wasn't a Jew. And 
As if that wasn't enough, this man was also a eunuch. Kids, if you don't know what a eunuch is, you'll have to ask your parents. But according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, eunuchs weren't allowed in the temple. Their physical brokenness was a picture of their spiritual need. So what we have, brothers and sisters, is a barren man in a barren place who took a thousand mile journey only to be barred from the temple. Now this Ethiopian eunuch had an important job. That's another thing the passage tells us about him. Essentially, we would say today he was the, the CFO or the acting treasurer of the country of Ethiopia. Now, because he worked in close quarters with and had consistent access to the queen, he had to become what he now was. It was common in this part of the world at this point in history to castrate court officials. This was part of the price you paid. Society wasn't about personal achievement or educational advancement. Everything was connected to family. And so forcing men to become eunuchs who worked for the queen meant that there was no chance of the royal bloodline being violated. This man had power, he had access. He's in a chariot for crying out loud. That's the, the ancient equivalent of a private jet. But he had paid a big price. All joking aside, this man would have no family. In a society all about family, he would never have sons or daughters. It was impossible for him to pass on his name. He had no heritage. And therefore, this man had no dignity. He had no value. His life was quite literally a dead end. Now, despite these obstacles he faced that he could do nothing about, this man had apparently heard of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Perhaps generations before in the diaspora as Jews fled out from Jerusalem and were deported, perhaps a synagogue had been raised up and perhaps all these years later he had come in contact with the truth of what he knew about the God of the Old Testament. And that's what motivated him to make pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem, to see the temple, to worship with God's people, to be up close. But as this African headed home, he headed home having not been let in. But he did head home with something he probably didn't have before he went, a scroll of Isaiah. This scroll that he was reading in his chariot, he very likely purchased while he was in Jerusalem. And maybe for the very first time, as he went day after day after day after day, sitting in that hot chariot, bumping along that desert road, he read, he read aloud the word of God. As he read from the prophet Isaiah, Verse 29 says, the spirit directed Philip to go join that chariot. 
undoubtedly to share the gospel with the eunuch. Now, what are the chances of that? One guy leaves a fruitful ministry to travel alone down a desert road, and another guy, no doubt, with a large entourage reading Isaiah, interested in learning, and the two just happen to meet. Beloved, it is the will of God for Christians to move toward people not like them. If we keep those who are sexually or racially different from us at arm's length, then we resist the very heart of Christ and the work of the Spirit. Because what God did in Acts 8, God continues to do. Now, of course, I don't pretend to know the particulars of God's secret will for every moment of every day of every person's life who makes up Church on Mill. But brothers and sisters, what I am absolutely convinced of is that God still leads people by His Spirit. And the Spirit in Acts chapter eight is doing what the Spirit is still about today. He's directing the people of God to show the love of God across racial boundaries. There is one body in Christ. Just like we saw last week, the gospel wouldn't stay contained in Jerusalem. It had to go up to the half-breeds, the Samaritans. Churches must be planted there, but not just there. The gospel must also go to the Africans, and that's what's happening in this text today. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is for all peoples. And so whatever the Lord is prompting and leading you in whatever means he would choose throughout the course of everyday life, there is absolutely no question that the main thing the Lord is doing in you, Christian, is spreading you about to be the fragrance of the aroma of Christ, most principally to people not like you. This is one of the things that makes ministries like life among the nations so vitally important. And yet it's not just that ministry of a few who make up this church. It's all of us. It's all of us sharing Christ with those about whom there might be some natural man-made sin-wrought barrier and instead pressing through those because Christ has pressed into us. Now, as, as Philip approached the chariot, I wonder what he might have been thinking. This is not his normal circumstance. But as he drew near, what did he hear? Well, probably to his surprise, he heard the eunuch reading Isaiah. And so he simply asked, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian official showed tremendous humility in verse 31. It's exactly the kind of thing we would never hear our president today do. He simply says, I don't know. Would you help me? What humility? What humility from a man who had wealth, who had power, 
and who had no idea what kind of knowledge or information the other person had. Oh, that the Lord would give us people like that. He was ready to receive teaching. Now, at that precise moment, the Spirit orchestrated events in such a way that he was reading from Isaiah 53, verses seven and eight. That's the section in your Bible in Acts eight that's pushed over in order to show you that it's a, it's a quotation coming from another part of your Bible. What that African man didn't understand is who Isaiah was talking about. Who's the he in those verses? And what did his suffering and death mean? Now talk about a softball question. Philip had a beeline straight to the gospel. Beloved, if a non-Christian today were to ask you this afternoon what a portion of the scriptures meant that you just happened to come across, would you be prepared to take that text wherever it is in your Bible and to relate that passage to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Philip did. Maybe you feel like you aren't quite ready for that. I remember many days feeling that way. There's no time like the present to start learning. Start simply by putting down your phone your iPad, your computer, your TV. Wait till I'm done with the sermon though. Put that down and set aside Twitter and Snapchat and simply pick up your Bible. Give yourself to the daily reading of God's word. And as you do so, prayerfully consider in conversation with your father as you read his word, what might this text what light might it shed on God's great plan to rescue people through Jesus from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation? That's what every passage is about. Jesus is the hero of every text. Don't miss this. Every passage rightly understood takes us to Christ. Rightly understood. The Word and the Spirit go together. There's unfortunately a tendency in many churches today to pit the Spirit against the Word. And so you end up with churches that believe they're all about the Spirit and other churches that believe they're all about the Word. And whenever that happens, they're actually about neither because the two always go together. They are inseparably linked. As you give yourself to the Word of God, then the Spirit of God will help you understand and will providentially direct your steps to divine encounters that move forward the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, you might not hear God's voice. And actually, if we, if we read this text closely, we don't know. How did Philip know what he knew? The passage doesn't tell us. Did he get a sign? Did he hear audibly? Did he have a sense inside? We don't actually know. But the Spirit hasn't stopped speaking. 
and the Spirit will always be leading us to the Word of God and then moving us out to share that word with others. Starting from Isaiah 53, Philip shared the glorious gospel with his new African friend. No doubt Philip told him of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that this suffering servant is no less than God himself. As Isaiah 53 shows in extended detail, and I'd encourage you to go back and read sometime, Jesus bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. These verses and many, many, many more teach that Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience. And consequently, he was fit to die a substitutionary death on the cross. Jesus died for sinners, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. Why? That he might bring us into right relationship with God. That he might heal the fracture here and bring peace here. Jesus was despised and rejected by men that all who come to him might never be despised and rejected by God. Friends, this is the basic message of the Bible. We Christians call it the gospel, the good news that faith is in Jesus and that all who turn from sin and turn to him will be put back into right fellowship with God forever. If you're watching this live stream this morning and you're not a Christian, then I need to simply ask you, do you understand this gospel? Do you agree that it's true? Well, if you understand it, if you agree that it's true, then you are in fact ready to turn from a life without God to a life in which you are interwoven with God. You're ready to be saved. You will wherever you are right now if you will confess your sin and confess your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Today is the day for trusting God. Don't wait. Now, while Acts chapter eight doesn't give us all the details, this is just a, a brief recounting of the events, it's clear that day in that chariot, in that barren place, that African came to know Christ. And that eunuch was welcomed into the kingdom of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know that? Well, let your eyes glance down on your Bibles to verse 38. We know this because as the chariot moved along and the conversation continued, they came providentially to some water. And Philip baptized the Ethiopian. Now Isaiah doesn't talk about Christian baptism. And so we can simply deduce here that Philip had shared Christ from all over the Old Testament. The eunuch had accepted the Lord Jesus and Philip was now well on the way of discipling this man into the obedience of faith 
that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And that obedience begins with baptism. Baptism is the outward sign of inward faith. It symbolizes the cleansing of sin, the, the coming to God with a clear conscience and faith. It demonstrates the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself and our co-death and resurrection with him. Now why does Acts emphasize not the Ethiopian's conversion, his moment, we might say today, of praying a prayer to accept Jesus Christ? Why is that detail not given space, but what is, is his baptism? Well, I'm glad you asked. Remember the story. This is a foreigner. This is a eunuch. This poor guy was an ultimate outsider. He'd just been turned away at the temple. But now, on, on this side of the cross, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, on this side of the sending of the Spirit, God's glory was no longer found principally in Jerusalem. The temple was nothing special. The Spirit of God now resides in the people of God. Believers are the temple. Therefore, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings about this miracle. The ostracized outsider can now become a fully embraced insider. He is no longer on the outside looking in. He is all the way in. His baptism showed it. Water baptism, you see, marks off one publicly as being part of the people of God. And in this frontier missionary context where there was no church, there were no other Christians, Philip helped that Ethiopian identify himself with Jesus and Jesus' people through baptism. This Ethiopian was now in. Friend, if you claim to know Jesus and you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? It's time to be numbered with God's people. As soon as you are able, as soon as we're back together, won't you follow the Lord Jesus in baptism? Won't you obey? This will be the evident outward sign of the inward change that God's made in your life. And in so doing, like that African, you will be experiencing the truth that through the gospel, every ostracized outsider becomes a fully embraced insider. Now, fascinatingly, in what I think is the most beautiful part of the whole story, the book of Isaiah promised that in the new covenant, in the people of God, in the church, people exactly like this African eunuch would be welcomed into the kingdom of God. You see, he, the eunuch, had made it to chapter 53. There would not have been chapters at that point, and this scroll would have been huge, but he made it to the point in the scroll when reading le right to left, he came to chapter 53, Philip showed up, he came to know Jesus, 
And then I imagine Philip knowing exactly what was coming ahead, just kept reading with this new African Christian. And a mere three chapters later, they came to chapter 56, and the eunuch would have heard these words. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Why? Well, two verses later, Isaiah 56 verse five says this, I will give in my house, this is God talking, I will give in my house and in my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Church, do you hear what that means? The man who would never have a natural family now had a supernatural one. The one who knew only exclusion now knew full inclusion. You see, in the new covenant, in the church, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a message. A message to the African, to the Asian, to the Hispanic, to the Native American, to the ostracized, to the poor, to those who are single and long to be married, to those who are childless and ache to hear the words mom or dad, to the abused, to the refugee, to the chronically ill, to the unemployed, to the addicted and the broken, to the majority and the minority, every outsider, everyone bound by evil and under the curse of sin, join yourself to the Lord in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Jesus. Because Jesus took on your ostracization. Jesus became the outcast. Jesus was rejected and despised. He bore the wrath of God and became a curse for sinners. Consequently, all who come to him in faith get all the way in. No more division. God will give you a name that will never be cut off. Church, we have a global gospel because we have a cosmic king. His name's Jesus. And every church of the Lord Jesus Christ must abhor racism. We must display compassion and kindness across all the boundaries the world in its sin has erected. Every church must declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit to all who will listen. And we, brothers and sisters, must embrace as equals and co-heirs anyone and everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, irrespective of what they've done or the color of their skin. For all who call in the name of the Lord, are all the way in. 
Church, the only thing that will heal our racial divide, the only true hope of reconciliation It only exists in the church. This is the only hope. We need the resources of heaven to meet the brokenness of earth. And that's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may we in these days join in solidarity with every other Christian church. May we cling to the word and may we declare the gospel for therein is a sufficient hope. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you with heavy hearts today. We come to lament the ongoing, tragic, deplorable, sinful, mistreatment of people in this country based on the color of their skin. It has lasted for hundreds of years. We come to you in lament that some of our leaders seem bent on encouraging this instead of standing against it. We come with the awareness that many of us have been indifferent to the fact that people in our own city, people in our own church, are experiencing the world through very different eyes. God, we pray that those of us who make up the majority culture would come to see that so much can be done if we would in humility submit ourselves to the word of God and be led by the spirit of God and go especially to those who don't look like us, smell like us, talk like us, act like us, have what we have. And that therein as the gospel is shared that you will do what you've promised to do, that you will welcome in a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And we pray, Lord, that this church, the brothers and sisters who make up Church on Mill would become a radically inclusive church. Even as we cling to the exclusivity of Christ, we pray that all who trust in him would feel the welcome and celebration that is embraced in the heavens here on the earth. And we pray, Lord, that this would happen not only here, but in churches all across this land and that what secular society has been unable to bring about because it doesn't have the resources to, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would finally see forward momentum in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.